Hi, Popcorn Junkies. Quick review of uh, Michael Winterbottom's uh, film called Greed, starring Steve Coogan. Uh, this film's got a little bit of press uh, because, of course, it's allegedly loosely based on the uh, retail tycoon, British retail tycoon Philip Green, who runs Topshop, and uh, Steve Coogan plays a sort of fictional version of this person, a sort of fictional billionaire high street fashion mogul, who basically sort of follows the same trajectory as Philip Green did in real life, which is basically asset stripping loads of companies, uh, raising the stakes more and more, paying himself and his wife more and more dividends, uh, exploiting offshore tax uh, havens, uh, living it up and basically squeezing the life out of all the poor workers in Sri Lanka, in Bangladesh, all over the world, who are actually making the clothes, uh, driving bargains harder and harder and harder until the companies go bankrupt, he gets richer and he simply doesn't care. Um, but this is pitched as a sort of dark comedy. Uh, it stars Steve Coogan, as I say. Um, it has people like David Mitchell in it, Isla Fisher, uh, Asa Butterfield. Um, and... What do I make of this? I wasn't particularly keen about seeing this. I'd, I'd seen the trailer. Satire's come so far that you've got to be particularly almost vicious and extreme and shocking. If you think of things like Four Lions by um, Chris Morris, you know, I think the audience is so sophisticated that you've got to be, you can't pull your punches, you can't be too cautious, and you can't be at all hesitant. Uh, and within all those adjectives that I'm using, I would say all of this film runs the risk of being all those things. Michael Winterbottom is a, a director of great credit and, and reputation. Uh, you know, he's made films like 24 Hour Party People, Wonderland, Welcome to Sarajevo. I think that won the Palm Door at Cannes years back. I think I interviewed him years and years ago at the Cannes Film Festival. So, you know, he comes with good kudos. And yet, if I'm honest, watching this film, my first concern sitting down were, how is this going to differ from a lot of British rapidly turned around. I mean, th this is one of the things that I felt about it. It felt like it had been turned around very quickly, and that's not to say that it has, but it, there was an element of it having been rushed. There was an element of having many scenes and character development sort of squeezed into very simple functional scenes, which led to it not being a particularly nuanced or layered or particularly sophisticated comedy between the characters. And there was no sort of sense of a building a, a house of cards. The fictional mogul in the film is Sir Richard MacReady. So we go we go all the way back to Sir Richard MacReady, you know, virtually as a child with his mum and domineering mum and him being dragged out of school by her because the school wouldn't let him gamble. He was a wisecracking, street smart, dealer, wheeler, dealer type, but he happened to come from quite a sort of posh background. Um, and so whilst we chart all of that, the characterization sort of falls flat because for me, even when you're painting portraits of megalomaniac, kind of larger than life, really selfish, vicious, demonstrative characters, you've got to have some element in them that you, if not like, you at least understand. They're, I think even in the strongest, most severe characters, you've got to have something that's like um, a weakness, some vulnerability that kind of excuses or explains why they've made the choices that they've made. And I think one of the problems with this is I'm a big fan of Steve Coogan, and when he 
gets stuff right, he gets it really right. I mean, Alan Partridge is a classic case in point. But with this one, there was a peculiar sort of reticence, I thought, in Coogan's performance. I don't know whether it was having this great big gnashes in his mouth that kind of forced his face into a sort of rictus grin that he couldn't really do anything nuanced with, but it felt like he had a sort of smile plastered on his face by these amazing teeth. That's not to say it wasn't good, but it felt like he was sort of storming from scene to scene, using expletives to demonstrate what a nasty character he was, whereas I felt what we could have done with was some of the more sort of nuanced stuff to, su to suggest a sort of ruthlessness and a you know and a selfishness and I couldn't care less or at the very best you know even find parts of his character that perhaps led to him having a bit of introspection and a bit of sort of you know embarrassment about the behavior that he was demonstrating around everyone the hook for the film pivots around him celebrating or making preparations to celebrate in uh, on Mykonos in Greece uh, his 60th birthday and to this end they're building a, a sort of Greek amphitheatre out of MDF and what have you on the beach and this is where I think one of the film's other weaknesses sort of resides you know they were they, they had topics like um, refugees on the beach which were parked there for us to be thinking about you know all the contrast of wealth etc etc and on one level it did that but then on another it sort of somehow almost the film kind of reduced the significance of say the, the refugees plight in a place like Greece by sort of just using them almost as warm props or set dressing for a really quite paper thin story that was kicking out with Steve Coogan and, and, and his cohorts and so you could see that the filmmakers were trying to blend some kind of metaphor in with this building of an amphitheatre and the sort of Greek tragedian, tragedy-like kind of falling from grace of this titan, uh, you know, Richard McCready, played by Steve Coogan. And that in the building of this, it was like the, it was the fall of the Roman Empire. And they have those moments where he's kind of, you know, he's talking to some of the kind of chippies who were building it and he sort of does the thumb down and all of that. And so it was a bit laboured, it was a bit heavy-handed even in its metaphor, so you weren't allowed to sort of interpret them you were kind of told this is a metaphor for Richard McCready being a sort of Greek tragic person who's kind of fallen from grace and so that was a bit obvious too. It's not to say the film didn't have some of its moments, some moments that were particularly rich or strong. For example uh, the film starts rather touchingly and movingly with a tribute to, it's, it's dedicated to the memory of Caroline Flack and interestingly in the very first scene of the film we have uh, footage that's effectively archive footage within the film shot off a monitor of a sort of you know a sort of not a dolly bird but a sort of presenter handing out checks and she's been obviously hired by uh, Richard McCready to be a sort of presenter and that's played by Caroline Flack and that was quite shocking actually it was quite a surprise and I'd forgotten that she was actually in this film um, so there was that moment there's some really I think David Mitchell plays a very sort of nuanced and layered sort of journalistic guy who's wandering around the whole film trying to sort of tell a story or write the biography of Steve Coogan's characters life and there were moments there where I thought they could have perhaps had a little bit more fun and been a little bit cleverer because at times David Mitchell's character is filming interviews with some of the people who are talking about the, you know, this retail mogul's life. And that kind of led me to think that perhaps this whole film could have been much stronger if they'd adopted the strategy of a film like Popstar, that amazing um, American film which piss take, does a piss take of the whole sort of like boy band thing. Um, 
where if they hadn't just adopted a more documentary approach to the whole thing, so that we had people talking about him, we had even interviews with him, it would have given Steve Coogan a chance to do, okay, yeah, a bit of a rehash of what Ricky Gervais does in The Office. But it felt that that might have been a richer route to take. And I felt like they almost had that idea maybe late in the production and they started to use bits of it, but then it sort of felt out of balance with the rest of the film. Um, I won't give you a spoiler as to what happens at the end, but it is quite a dramatic ending to the film. I didn't quite see it coming, but even when it lands and when it happens, it felt very hollow and very unbelievable. So, it, you know, the art of great satire is that it's parked in reality and it, and it flies frighteningly close to its subject. And I think the danger for this film is that Philip Green himself and people like him are so sort of satiric, they're sort of satires of themselves, that this film sort of feels like it doesn't even achieve the satirical take on Philip Green that Philip Green achieves on himself, if you know what I mean. So it kind of curiously misses its target. It's, it's neither dark enough, it's neither nasty enough, it's neither sharp-edged enough, and it's not hostile enough, and it's sort of taking its subject and really rinsing it, or ridiculing it. He's not ridiculed enough, and that's where I wonder whether a bit of the problem resides with Steve Coogan, I worry that perhaps he was just getting a little bit sort of, not precious with the part, but he was getting a bit sort of into the performance in a way that meant he wanted to do, I don't know, he just felt like he was taking the performance somewhere other than where it should have been taken. Um, and so there was a bit of glory to his character, even in his horribleness and nastiness. I mean, he could have been far nastier and far ickier and far lickier and all that kind of stuff. Um, so at the end of the day, I think this was, you know, there's a, a really important message at the back of this film, and in the last end credits, there's a whole host of statistics that they throw at you about the appalling inequities between, you know, 26 people on the planet have the, you know, have to share the same wealth as the other 4.8 billion of the planet, you know, and what people are paid in the rag trade in Sri Lanka, etc. Appalling statistics. And yet, weirdly, the, the sort of political message and the reason for making the film and sort of wanting to hit its target was lessened by the fact that no one seemed to have made enough of an effort to sort of craft a really sophisticated or clever weapon to attack this inequity, if you like, in society. So it just became a... Re it, it ended up, as I said before, it ended up feeling like a rushed... Uh, speedily executed. A lot of the scenes were marked out really clumsily. The, the cross-cutting between moments were really leaden. There was really gappy, baggy editing where it could have been tightened up, made much more crisp. There was no contrast cutting. There was You weren't asked, you weren't challenged to rethink characters. There was a particularly strong, I mean, one of the strongest performances, interestingly, was the young boy, and I forget the actor's name, but the one half of the double act that does This Country on BBC Two or BBC Three. He was brilliant as he was being absolutely flayed by uh, Sir Robert Richard McCready as he was kind of like tearing him apart about his window displays and what have you. And, you know, they could have had the opportunity in there to have some really sort of, I don't know, nostalgic 70s, 60s riffs on, you know, how the rag trade and the fashion industry had changed over time. They could have, it could have done with some montages. There weren't, wasn't any particularly clever editing. And my big bait noir with most British films, whether comedy or not comedy or whatever, is the total lack of cinematic air to the proceedings. I mean, you know, it's shot in Greece, you've got you've got wealth, you've got, you know, great gnashes, and it's just shot in a very pedestrian TV, very limited, 
very unambitious and it even had this sort of strange thread of a of a sort of reality show being made in the background and that was never fully connected and it was a bit cheesy but it wasn't funny cheesy because then you know it's one of those films where when they cast people to play a tv crew within it they look like they've never touched a camera in their lives so it just felt a little bit too oh painting by numbers but in big block numbers you know painting something really simple and murally and very ugly so I thought it was quite an ugly film I thought it was quite a silly film I thought it there were times where I was I was achingly embarrassed by how bad the plot was and how bad the story was I mean and it was badly scripted I mean it really was badly scripted Isla Fisher was good in it as I said David Mitchell was very good in it but you know all I felt all of the points of it about the political wrongs of, of wealth versus the poor and impoverished and the disenfranchised in the world were lost beneath a really lazy, bloated, self-indulgent load of twaddle fiddling around on a beach, building a pretend amphitheatre with a lion underneath it. And, and, and I won't even give away the end, but the end just felt, it just felt cheap and it felt unbelievable and it felt silly. And so it diminished the strength of the certificate. Satire has to have a bite. It needs to it needs to rigorously sink its teeth in and tear tear things apart. And whilst the lion in this film sinks its teeth into something and tears it apart, didn't do it at all convincingly for me.